0: Good evening. Good to see you. Whether you've been with us all semester long or this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. I kind of want to let you know what we're up to. Uh, We've been looking at what's called the Apostles' Creed all semester long. Um, Apostles' Creed is in some ways a summary uh, of the Christian faith. It's a map and compass of sorts that Christians all across the ages and really all across the world Uh, have used to help them navigate the scriptures, sort of navigate their way through life, sort of orient themselves uh, theologically. I've printed the creed on a piece of paper with the scripture that we're going to look at tonight uh, on a sheet of paper there for you. And if you look at it, you can see that it's really kind of divided into three sections. Each one of those sections really focusing on the person uh, and the work of one of the persons uh, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit. And tonight, and for the rest of the semester, we're going to be focusing uh, on the person uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Some questions for tonight, worth asking, hopefully answering. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Uh, What does he do? And to help answer those questions, I would like to look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, uh, verses 15 to 26. So I'm going to turn there now. And uh, if you want to follow along, either on the screen or with, on the sheet that you have, it would be great. John fourteen, fifteen through 26. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Please pray with me. As was just, Son, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Uh, We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see Jesus, to hear his words to us tonight. Um, and to receive him, to believe him. Uh, I ask these things in his name. Uh, Amen. There's really sort of three points that I'd like to emphasize tonight. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, distinct from God the Father and God the Son. Secondly, uh, the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually new, makes us come alive. And thirdly, The Holy Spirit lives within the Christian and is at work fixing them up and cleaning them up and causing them to grow. So those really are the three points. First, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, distinct from God the Father and from God the Son. He is the most mysterious and arguably the most misunderstood uh, person uh, in the Trinity. He doesn't get or garner as much attention as God the Father or God the Son. And that's kind of his M.O. The Holy Spirit is content to work behind the scenes, uh, not calling attention to himself, but rather calling our attention to God the Father uh, and to God the Son, sort of shining a spotlight on them, wanting us to see and to appreciate just how awesome both the Father and the Son are. The Holy Spirit is not begotten, like the Son, Uh, but instead he proceeds from the Father and from the Son. As one theologian writes, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the relationship between the Father and Son, the bond between them, the mutual love they share. That said, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling and is not an impersonal love force, a la Star Wars. Okay, that's not what we're tapping into. Right? It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. is a person. Indeed, the third person uh, in the Trinity. Because the Father has always loved the Son, and because the Son has always loved the Father, there's always been a Holy Spirit The spirit of their relationship, who is at the same time a person. I know it's mysterious, but it's a person of the same essence, same nature as the Father and the Son, but distinct from them at the same time. He's eternal, he's divine, he's personal, he's distinct. The Holy Spirit. Okay, listen to how Jesus himself uh, describes who the Holy Spirit is, and the passage you have before you. I want you to pay attention to the pronouns. Okay, in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper to be with you forever. Okay, he says another helper. He's not going to, the Father's not coming, and it's not me, but it's someone else. And you're like, well, who is it? Well, he answers that question in verse 17. It's the Spirit of truth. Okay, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Again, not it, but him. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Okay, that's, this is who we're talking about. It's the Holy Spirit. The eternal, life-giving, love relationship between the Father and Son that doesn't become a person but always has been. Okay, This is who the Holy Spirit is. Um, but what does he do? Okay. Well, according to Jesus in John 14, okay, the Holy Spirit makes his home in us. You see that in verse 17 and 23. And he makes us to become more and more like Jesus. Okay, the Holy Spirit takes the finished work of Jesus, the finished work of Christ, and he makes it personal. Like he applies it to our lives. So it's not just that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but he's my Savior. Right? Not just a king, but my king. First, I want to focus on this idea of the Holy Spirit making us new, making us spiritually new. When the Holy Spirit enters into your life, something happens that can only be described as rebirth, as renewal. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus says very much the same thing in a conversation that he has with a religious leader named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Okay, everyone in this room has been born of water. Steve, when's your birthday? May 21st. May 21st. Okay. Randy, when's yours? May 30th. May 30th? All right. It's May birthdays. honor, when's yours? August 30th. Okay. August 30th. Mine, January 12th, Okay, 1982. Okay. I was born of water. My mom's water broke on January 12th, 1982. And I was born in some small hospital in Oakville, Ontario. Okay, the son of Eric and Annalie Minam. I was born of spirit, however, some 26 years later. Okay, in 2008, I was um, living in the D.C. area with a host family, working at a public charter school in Washington, D.C., and going to church, learning things about Jesus that I had never learned before. Well, something happened to me over the course of that year. I can't tell you the exact date because I really don't know. But one day I woke up a Christian. Uh, One day I found that I no longer regarded God as a subject to be studied, but rather uh, a person to be known. I no longer regarded God as just a mere sort of philosophical construct, now he had become like a real life-giving and all-loving presence in my life. I stopped talking about the idea of God and started talking about him as my maker. And I started referring to him as my savior. I was conscious of his knowledge and awareness of me. And I knew him too. I knew he loved me and I loved him too. I didn't have answers to all of my sort of theological questions and I still don't. Um, But this I knew. I wanted to be with him. And I knew that he wanted to be with me as well. And this... Represented a seismic shift in my thinking, represented a seismic shift in my life. What happened to me in 2008 is what Jesus was describing uh, to Nicodemus. <laughs> okay? God made it possible for me to see him and to hear him and to love him in ways that I simply did not and indeed could not do before. I was born again. Now it's important to note. I did not give birth to myself. Right? We do not born ourselves. Okay? We are born. Okay? Being born is not something that we do, but is something that is done to us and done for us. And what is true about us physically is also true uh, about us spiritually. In his book, uh, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, John Murray, who's a theologian, he writes, We are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we are upon the action of our parents in connection with our natural birth. We were not begotten by our father because we decided to be. We were not born of our mother because we decided to be. We were simply begotten and we were born. Our natural life, as well as our spiritual life, is the fruit of somebody else's choice and action. In the words of Jesus, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When you were conceived physically, okay, you inherited genes uh, from your mom and from your dad. Okay, genetically speaking, your mom and dad live inside of you. There's, there's seeds of their life, traces of their life within you, but you're not your mom and you're not your dad. You're something entirely new. You're a new creation. Right? You are you. Even though you are uniquely you, being born to your parents unites you to them in profound and mysterious ways. See, when you were born into the world, you look you look more like an alien uh, than you did your mom and your dad. Um, I know this because I have a two-year-old, and when she came out, she did not, she looked like an alien, (laughs) right? A cute alien, but an alien nonetheless, okay? But as you grow up, right, you begin to resemble your parents more and more, okay? And that resemblance goes beyond the mere physical, to your joy and also maybe to your chagrin, right? You begin to look more like them, talk like them, think like them, act like them. And this is something you have very little control of. Even though you are a new creation, you still carry their DNA inside of you. Well, something like this happens at our spiritual rebirth as well. Okay, imagine that there was such a thing as spiritual DNA. Imagine that when you were born of the Spirit, the spiritual DNA of the Holy Spirit gets added to your own. Now, spiritually speaking, it's not just you in there anymore, not just you in here. And spiritually speaking, it's not just the Holy Spirit in there either. Because of spiritual rebirth, there are, as it were, now two spirits within you. And that's something new. That's something that has never happened before. That's new creation. 2008, after being spiritually born, I was still John Minan, but I was not the John Minan of the year before that. I now had something, someone else, right, living within me. A new creation. Theologian Stanley Grenz writes, Just as physical birth endows us with a special relationship, to our physical parents, so also our spiritual birth means that we have a special relationship with God. Being born of water means that I'm Eric and Annelies' kid. But being born a spirit means I'm also a child of God. I'm his offspring, too. And what this means is that as I grow up, as I mature into manhood, I am simultaneously becoming more and more myself and more and more like Jesus at the same time. As I grow up, I'm becoming more and more myself, more and more like the true John Minon, and more and more like Jesus at the same time. And this is true of all Christians. Born of water and spirit, you are becoming more and more you, and more and more like Jesus at the same time. Why is this? Well, it's because it's not just your DNA uh, in there anymore. You have the spiritual DNA of the Holy Spirit as well. Right? The Holy Spirit, the very personal, life-giving, life-raising love that exists between the God, the Father and God the Son is now inside of you. Right? If you are a Christian, you pray to God as Father, as Daddy, right? And that's not normal. Like you didn't do that before. But now you do. you say, well, why, do I, why did I start doing this? It's because you've got the Spirit of God's Son within you. In addition to being uh, your parents' son and daughter, you are now a child of God as well. And Jesus says so in verse 18 of the passage we're looking at tonight. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will give you the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. If you are a Christian, you are a new creation. Your new life begins, your new life with Jesus begins with spiritual rebirth, with spiritual renewal. But, and this is an important but, it doesn't end there. You were spiritually reborn so that you can spiritually grow up. You are reborn so you can grow up and grow up into Christ-likeness. If being spiritually reborn is a once-in-a-lifetime event, for me, back in 2008, I don't know when it is for you, if that's happened to you. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. But growing up is not. right? Growing up is a process. And this brings me to our third and final point for tonight. Okay, The Holy Spirit who is responsible for your spiritual rebirth is the same Spirit who is at work helping you to grow into Jesus, to become more like Him. Same work, same guy. My wife Megan and I, we, um, we moved to Burlington six years ago. Uh, we have our own take, our own perspective on, on this move, but recently I've been thinking what did our move in look like from our house's perspective? Like if 63 Green, and I'm gonna refer to her as a she, right? my house is a she, if, if she could talk and tell that story how might that story of our moving in be told? You know, February in 2012, 63 Green Street was a green and purple house. It got lots of comments on the purple, okay? Her exterior and her interior were covered in lead paint. Her basement was full of asbestos and creepy paper mache masks. <laughs> her windows were broken and drafty, Inside where our kitchen now stands, there was a wall dividing the house and a second staircase leading to the second floor. 63 Green Street was very funky and not very functional. Spring 2012, 63 Green had been on the market for over a year. Lots of people had walked through her doors to check her out. Nobody was really interested. Her backyard, no longer cared for, had become a jungle of weeds, and a pond in the back collected stale water and mosquito larvae. The price she was listed at kept falling, and then it fell some more. In March or April of 2012, Megan and I drove from Massachusetts to Burlington, Vermont, to look at houses because we knew we were going to move here. We looked at 13 houses in one day. 63 Green Street was one of them. This was our first encounter, the first time we laid eyes on her and she laid eyes on us. I doubt she thought much of us. She was probably used to seeing people come and go. I imagine her guard was up, if she had one. She was probably jaded, and not just from the green paint. Okay. Even though we probably did not make much of an impression on her, she certainly did make an impression on us. Yeah, she was funky. Yeah, she needed some work. But we fell in love. She didn't choose us, but we chose her. We pretty much liquidated our assets, sold up everything that we had so that we could buy her and move in and call her ours to call her home. And all of this before we actually moved in. July 2012 marked a shift. July 2012, we moved in. And our moving in changed everything. It changed our relationship. We were now not just strangers on a sidewalk passing by, and we weren't just interested buyers. We were now owner occupiers. We went from someone on the outside to someone now on the inside, and that changed everything for 63 Green. Surely that uh, entailed some excitement. But it also engendered some fear because after living in 63 Green for about two weeks, Megan and I broke out the sledgehammers and we pulled out the sawzaws and we got to work. I imagine 63 Green said, oh, my God, as we started tearing down walls and ripping out that second staircase. Like, what the heck are they doing as we pulled out light fixtures and chipped at cracked paint? Some changes were dramatic and others were subtle, but all of them, I imagine, hurt a little bit. Maybe some changes more than others. Maybe 63 Green wished that we hadn't moved in at all. But with those painful changes, with those painful changes also came a new sense of purpose and joy as well a house that had become quiet was coming to life again. A backyard which was once a jungle of weeds now had a patio and a garden in the back where people could party and barbecue and watch movies in the summertime. Walls got fresh coats of paint, pictures got hung on the wall, old windows were removed and new ones were put in. A kitchen island was added where lots of you like to gather and congregate. Some of you do dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Our house was made more and more beautiful and more and more livable. You all, the, the renovation of 63 Green did not happen overnight. It is a labor of love that takes a long time. Renovating a home is a long long process. Progress is made, but it does not happen all at once. I can tell you because I live in her. 63 Green is not perfect, but she's getting better. Right, 63 Green is not perfect, but she is loved. 63 Green is not perfect, but we are so glad to call her our home. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, what is going on at 63 Green is kind of happening to you as well. Walls are getting knocked down. Fixtures that are lodged deep within you can be and might be ripped out. But there are things that will be added to you. You will be beautified as well. Along with the growing pains, the home renovations, and repairs, come a bunch of goodness and purpose and newness of life. If you are a Christian, God lives within you and is at work inside of you. He doesn't wait until you're perfect before he moves in. He moves in so he can make you perfect. He doesn't wait until you're perfect before he moves in. Okay? He waits or he moves in in order to make you perfect. He's fixing you up. He's cleaning you up and he's causing you to grow. I'll say, "Well, how does he do that?" Like how does he actually do that what tools is he using you know as it were in this sort of home renovation and repair well let's look at our passage again okay jesus refers to the holy spirit as the spirit of truth verse 17 and as the helper verse 15 and 26 and both of these titles spirit of truth and helper Offer us clues into how the Holy Spirit actually renovates us, renews us, and remakes us in Christ's image. Okay, in verse 17, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. the Spirit of truth, will dwell in you. And then in verse 26, he says he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that Jesus has said to you. This is what he does, right? The Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit teaches you the truth and brings to your remembrance all that Christ said to you each and every time that you and we gather around God's word. We open up the Bible and we read it and we talk about it. When Jesus was alive, he held up a Bible, which for him was just the Old Testament. right? But he said not only is all of this authoritative and true, right down to the smallest letter, like right down to the iota and the dot, but he says it also reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us why we need him to rescue us, and it reveals to us the grace that we have in Jesus, right? These alone, the Old Testament and the New, are the sacred writings, There is no other book on planet Earth that is quite like this one. It alone is breathed out by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and carries the weight of God's Word. The Bible alone makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. No other book does that. It alone is sufficient and clear and clear and necessary and reliable for our salvation. It's not to say that you won't find truths in other religions, but this right here is truth with a capital T. Okay? That's how I would put it. You might find truths in other religions, sure, but this right here is truth with a capital T. What the Holy Spirit does then as the spirit of truth is to help you to see Jesus, help you to hear Jesus, and help you to respond to Jesus, to grow up into Jesus as you read and you hear and you meditate on the Bible, on his truth. Again, what this means for you personally is that God is causing you to to grow. He's changing you when you read and meditate on the scriptures at home. God is at work changing you, causing you to grow every time you participate in an RUF Bible study or InterVarsity Bible study or a Bible study at the Catholic Center. God is changing you and causing you to grow as you sing songs to him as you did tonight and you hear his, his word preached as you are right now. God is—he is—he is, he is, he is uh, changing you, and He's causing you to grow. When you join a local church, and you worship there on Sunday, and God meets you there and feeds and nourishes your faith through His means of grace—the Scripture, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. The reason why we in RUF take the Bible so seriously. Uh, is because we seriously believe that you seriously need it. We believe in its truthfulness. We believe that this really is a truth that will set you free. That this is a truth that will enable you to uh, become your truest self, more and more who God made you to be, and more and more like Jesus at the same time. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is going to take this and he's going to, to apply it to your life. He's going to make it yours. As the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit uses the Bible as a power tool, right? To remake, renovate, uh, and renew you. Teaching you all things. Bringing to your remembrance all that Christ has said to you. But it's not all, Okay? The spirit of truth is also called the helper. The word that gets uh, translated into English as helper here uh, in the Greek is a word called parakaleo. Para means to stand alongside or to stand with, and kaleo means to call, to prod, or to urge on. You join these together, and what you get is someone who stands with you and beside you, calling you on, prodding you on, urging you to finish the race that you started, helping you to finish that race well. In other words, the Holy Spirit. He is the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the good friend. Perhaps the best translation for parakaleia would be the encourager. When you feel crushed, the Holy Spirit picks you up and builds you up again. When you feel lost, the Holy Spirit calls out to you, finds you, guides you. When you feel afraid, he literally gives you courage. When you feel cozy, he pushes you outside of your comfort zone. When you feel tempted to sin, he gives you strength to say no. This is who the Holy Spirit is in your life. The helper, comforter, counselor, encourager, good friend. Picking you up, pointing you to Jesus, urging you to finish the race, and rooting for you all the way. When the Holy Spirit, I'm going to wrap this up, okay? When the Holy Spirit enters into your life, he will meet you where you are at but he will not leave you there. If the Holy Spirit enters into your life, you simply will not and you cannot remain the same. A change is inevitable because you are a new creation. The person indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not a perfect person. but rejoices in the fact that he or she has a perfect Savior. It's important that you understand that. Okay, the person indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not a perfect person, but just rejoices in the fact that she or he has a perfect Savior. When his or her sins are pointed out to them, they turn away from them and they turn towards Jesus. That was creepy. (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, the Holy Spirit person, the Holy Spirit-filled person wants to obey God and to keep his commands. Not because they fear hell or rejection, but they have this new desire to want to please God, right? to love him, to trust him, see obedience as a way of saying thanks. The Holy Spirit-filled person becomes more and more humble as he or she discovers just how much home renovation and repair actually needs. But at the same time, is filled with expectancy, excitement, and joy, knowing, one, that she was chosen. Two, she was bought with a price. Three, God now lives inside of her. And four, he's not going to quit. He's going to carry on the completion that he started. Or he's going to carry on his work to completion. He's going to finish what he started. The Holy Spirit-filled person loves Jesus, wants to become more like Jesus, and is learning what it means to call God dad. Am I describing you? Do you wish that I was? Look, that desire in itself to be chosen, to be filled with his spirit is a pretty good sign that God is ready to move in. Believe him. Receive him with joy. Let's pray.